So I was talking to somebody earlier, and uh, I was saying how it's... I almost had a hard time thinking of what to, to talk about today. I had to do a lot of praying about it, because um, we're in the Gospels all the time. We're in the Scriptures all the time. Uh, so we don't neglect the cross, which is a good thing. So sometimes you kind of have to think of uh, what it is that we've been missing, maybe. I was thinking about this a little earlier. Uh, I come from a, I guess, a decent-sized family. There's there's uh, four brothers. Uh, as far as siblings go, I was just kind of wondering, uh, from the families you guys came from, anybody have more than two siblings? More than three? Four? Whoa, five? Six? Okay, six, seven, seven. Wow. Okay, those are big families. <laughs> so, with the resurrection, uh, a lot of times two things kind of come to mind for me, and not one of them is a bunny. Just to put it out there. Uh, that's kind of kind of strange how that's still so prevalent. But uh, in fact, I, I was listening to a coworker earlier in the week, and they were saying I didn't even know Easter was coming because they hadn't had to buy any eggs. So, kind of shows you <laughs> shows you where people's uh, minds are at. But outside of creation, uh, this is the most important day in history, or maybe I have that backwards. But one of the two. Uh, you know, Christianity definitely stands or falls on this day. So the two things that always come to mind for me is God and family when I think of, of the resurrection. And not, not in the order of importance, but I wanted to kind of hit on those topics today. And I wanted to talk of family first here. So, you know, family is an interesting concept in, in Christianity. We, we see clearly laid out in the Scriptures that there are uh, there's responsibilities for each other in the family unit. There's the sacredness of, of marriage. There's the rearing of children. There's, there's the respecting of your parents. You know, all these things that the Bible lays out so clearly for us. And some of you said you had big families. Some of you said you had smaller ones. I... We, all, we stopped at seven. So I would seriously challenge your frame of mind based on that questioning. I would seriously challenge that, especially in a small congregation, in a small town, in rural Nebraska. I would challenge the fact that we said that the biggest family here was seven. So in Matthew 12, 46-50, Jesus talks about this. He says, it says, While he was still speaking to the crowds, behold, his mother and brothers were standing outside, seeking to speak with him. Someone said to him, Look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside, seeking to speak to you. But Jesus replied to the one who was telling him, and said, Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And extended his hand towards the disciples. And said, Behold, my mother, my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father 
who is in heaven. He is my brother and sister and mother. And then he elaborates later in John 6.29 when he says that, that uh, whoever's doing the will, the will is to believe on the Son. So to believe on Christ exponentially increases your family size. To believe on Christ gives you a huge family, we hope. And while some of those people might be blood-related, many or most are not going to be. Many will not be. So this family completely depends on what? On God's grace, on God's working in our lives, but it also depends on the planting of seeds that we are told to do, and then God's watering. So I would argue that free will plays into a hand here because not everybody decides to go this way. But God doesn't discount physical families either. Obviously, we see that in Scripture. We see in John in chapter 19 when He says, and this is actually my, uh, my favorite set of verses in the New Testament. He says, when, when Jesus saw His mother and the disciple whom He loved standing nearby, you got to remember, He's hanging on the cross while this is going on. He said to His mother, Woman, behold your son. And then He said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. So Jesus didn't discount bloodlines. He didn't discount the importance of them. We see how we're supposed to raise our children. We see how we're supposed to talk, how we're supposed to treat our spouses and our immediate families. But it's not just about that. Our family is beyond that. And if Christianity is true, this is the only way to heaven, this is the only way to see these people again. You know, we can help people in many other ways. We can help them with money. We can, we can do, help them with chores. We can drive them somewhere that they needed to go. Do some kind of favor. We can be there for them in emotional times. And these are all good, fruitful things that we should be doing anyways, right? Everybody agrees with that? <clears throat> but the greatest thing that we can ever do for any of them is to talk about today. That is the greatest thing you could ever do. Because we want eternity with other people. I would hope we do. We want them to know what God has done. We want them to know why He did it. And how they can access this easily attainable, in my opinion, eternal life. In 1 Timothy uh, chapter 2, uh, verse 4, it says, it says, speaking of God, who wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God wants all people to come to Him. <clears throat> God made mankind. We chose to walk away in the garden. And now we have the choice to come back. That's what's going on here. But life is short. And I know I've hit on this before, but just last week I was talking about how I knew of two young people uh, from, from where I was from in Wyoming who didn't make it that long. Their lives were cut very short. And then 
This week we learn of two others, one in Hemingford and one in Alliance. Okay? God is good enough, God is great enough for everyone, but we can't force the we can't force belief on anyone. But we have to proclaim it. We have to proclaim it to people. We have to explain what it is Jesus Christ did for them. That's how the kingdom expands. That's what we are supposed to do in the Great Commission. That's what we should want to do. People are hurting out there, whether we, whether we know it or not. Sometimes we get isolated. We don't really know. I'm kind of a little antisocial sometimes. I don't necessarily notice when somebody's going through something. because Sometimes I get in my own little bubble. And that's not what we're supposed to do. So the world needs this hope that's been around for a long time. But people need to hear it. People need to hear about God's grace outside of the church and in it. There are plenty of people inside the church that need it as well. So I want to I come back to that a little bit later here. Because what are we telling people when we proclaim our Savior? What are you telling people? You know, we talk to them about, these are the common things that everyone's going to remember, that how God was born in flesh, Jesus Christ was born into, the, into that body. How He walked the earth. He was tried in all things. He, was, he lived a sinless life and became a perfect sacrifice for us. That permanent Passover lamb for our sins. <clears throat> and He rose again, which is why we're here today, in triumphant victory. So, this is why, as we have said over and over again in Galatians to the points where you guys are probably getting a little tired of it, but why we are no longer under the law. Why we are under grace as believers in Jesus Christ. But people still have these things as a stumbling block. There are people who are professing believers who have this as a problem. <clears throat> so I think it's there are some attributes of God that are very easily said and they're not all of them but it's easy to say that god is just that god is loving and that god is merciful you know he's just in his holiness god has a standard that he will uphold and has upheld for all time <clears throat> god's loving and with that justice we see why he sent his son if there wasn't something going wrong, He would not have sent Christ if we didn't have these violations on us. <clears throat> and God is, God is merciful because He didn't have to do that. He's given us the road back to Him, that simple faith for salvation. So, but too often people reject Christ. Most people that you meet in your life may reject Christ depending on the circle that you go in. A lot of it is apathy. Most people, they don't care. They're a little busy. They'll think about it later when their life slows down, right? That's what a lot of people will say. That's what a lot of my family has said. There's false faiths, people that are trapped in these things, which we've talked about a lot, especially as we went through, as we went through Galatians. There's atheism, where people just completely deny that God exists. 
But a lot of people are stuck in this thought of two things. That either their sins are too much, that their sins are too much, or that their works are not enough. And they're hurting because of it. They get this anxiety because of it. They're, they're never reaching that mark, and they can fall into a, a hopelessness. And if you've ever been in it, then you know. But Christ's work on the cross is mighty. That's why we're here. That's why we love to celebrate Christ. There's a, uh, a quote that I had found during the week that I really liked. And it said that it said Christianity is not a religion or perspective. It said it's God's self-disclosure in Christ. It's God announcing who He is, His love, what He's done. That's what He has done for us in Christ. So the world before that had seen God through creation, which is a mighty testament, had seen Him through His, through his judgments, through, his, through their dreams. You see that in the Scriptures. People have heard His voice. There was angels that would come down. But here, when Christ came, we have God breaking bread with people. We have God fellowshipping with people in the flesh. And you can only imagine uh, to be there during that time. To actually walk with Christ or talk with Him. But the important part is that after that, He did what? He went to the cross and that that tomb was emptied. He did not stay in there long at all. But Christ said a lot on the cross. And this is where we start getting into this a little bit more of why. Of what He had did. Christ said a lot on the cross, and that, that actually is a bit of a big deal. Uh, he quotes the Old Testament a lot, but you have to realize that what was going on on the cross is a serious deal, even if He was not God. Because to be hanging on a cross is to be... basically He basically suffocated for three hours, at least. Every time He wanted to breathe, He had to push up on those nails in His heels to get himself, to get his chest up so that he could try to breathe again and speak these words to us. Meanwhile, he went through everything beforehand. He did not go through anything that any of us would ever want to do. This was a gruesome way to go. But the Scripture is deep and it connects all of this together. It connects these Old Testament references. And the Gospel, thank God, is so easy that a child can understand it if they really want to. But yet it's also so deep that theologians can discuss it for 60 years and still not come to a consensus on certain things. That's why we have that milk and meat that we talk about. That there's different levels of where people are at in their understanding of God. But Jesus knew these bad things were going to happen to Him on the cross. He's God. He knew this was going to happen before time came to be he said that you were going to be worth it. He said that you were going to be worth it for Him to die on the cross. That's how much He loves you. So He let them beat Him. And they mutilated, they humiliated, and they desecrated the Creator of the universe. And Peter, 
like many of us would probably try, tried to stop it. Everybody remember Peter goes and he cuts off the servant's ear. Right? This is common, common scripture there. But Christ tells him, put that sword away. The cup which the Father has given me, am I not to drink it? He knew what he was going to do, and he had to tell Peter to knock it off. But you can't blame Peter for wanting to stop this. So Christ knew all this was going to happen, and he said a lot of things on the cross. Seven, I believe. And three of those things that he said were about love and forgiveness. Three of them. He said, Father, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Woman, behold thy son. Behold thy mother. And today you will be with me in paradise. And he speaks to the other person. But what else did he say? He said it is finished. Jesus had been at work for a long time. When you go into, I believe it's Luke, we see him at the age of 12 in the temple, studying, learning, teaching. So his work had started very early. And it is finished is not a cry of defeat, even though he was up on that cross being tortured. It was not a cry of defeat. It was not cowardice. It was not compliance to get them to take him off. It wasn't asking for mercy. It was victory. When you read the Bible in its full context, when he said it is finished, it was in victory. He had completed his work and all of his labor. You can only imagine Satan's face when he says it is finished. Satan tried to offer him everything, and Christ said, no, I'm going to go on the cross instead. Satan had been finished. So when he had said it was finished, the prophecies about him were done. The sacrifices and the ceremonies that happened in the temple, those priesthoods, those were no longer needed. His perfect obedience was completed. God's justice was laid out on the cross. And Satan, sin, and death had become powerless for those who believe. And that's really important for the earlier part of our conversation about family. But how do we know that it was finished? The veil was torn. The veil was not a little tiny thin piece of fabric. Okay, The veil was inches thick. Inches thick. And during that earthquake, it was torn. And we know that that represents that Christ didn't need priests interceding anymore. He would be our high priest. And there's a lot of people who try to bring that temple back. And every time they do, you can see they'll ask for works-based things and they'll ask for a lot of money. It always happens that way. The believer is the temple now. Whether people like it or not, that is the way it is. That's what Scripture teaches. But we also know that this is finished because Christ was resurrected. That's the very day we're here for. And this is the thing that gets people. A lot of people will hear talking points from people in their lives or people they see on TV, on the internet, and they'll say that it was faked, things like that. Say, I, I cannot imagine a worse thing to fake than saying that Christ was resurrected. 
Because every single one of those people, except for one that said that he was resurrected, they were all killed. And they weren't killed in a very nice way. And not one of them ever recanted their faith. Not one of them. And they did try to kill John. He just, God said, you're not, you're not going yet. And he made it out of that vat of oil. <clears throat> so Jesus' ascension and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is really the cap on everything here. But, let's just kind of recap this and why I wanted to include this today with, with the godly family and the spreading of the Gospel. <clears throat> In Titus chapter 3, verses 4-7, through 7, it says, But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we did in righteousness, Listen to this, but in according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He richly poured out upon us through Christ Jesus our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. What's the end result there? That you didn't earn it. We've been in Galatians for a while now, and we've been saying this a lot that you can't earn it. And that's what you're saying there in Titus. This should not be something that makes you feel bad. This should be a joy. This should be an immense relief because you don't have to earn it. When it comes to salvation, Christ has done the job. Christ has finished the work. And that's why I stress to you that if you love someone your friends, your family, your enemies. This is what you should be proclaiming to them. God's work. We share the Gospel with other people because their sins are not too much. Every time you see somebody lost in depression, I guarantee you they're thinking that their sins are too much. That they can't come to God. Their works will never be enough, thank God, because God, Christ has covered that ledger. Christ has covered that. When that stone was rolled out of the way, that was the affirming sign. The resurrection, the affirming sign that all Christ had said and done was the work that we could never do. <clears throat> So we don't want to roll that stone back. We're constantly trying to roll that stone back. And it's a heavy stone, and there's no reconciliation in it. Christ died and was resurrected first and foremost for your reconciliation to the Father. But I, don't, I just don't want you to ever forget the adoption that occurs in there. Because Christ died so that we could be a family of God. That's why Christ died. That's one of the reasons that He died. There may be Christians that you don't like, but you better love them. You better let it go. Because they need you just as you need them. There might be unbelievers that you, in your life that you don't like. It's the same deal. Let it go. You have to love these people. They need you to love them. 
Now that looks, we've talked of love and there's different, different ways of how love is shown, but nevertheless, that doesn't negate it. We have to be loving these people, other people, every people. So Christians and especially non-believers and anybody who can, who's had this go on in their life, they know you can get trapped in some very dark places when your focus on God shifts. When you don't keep it on God, it's really easy to fall into that place. That's when you've forgotten God or for some people, they've never known Him. They don't know that light. So we have to be available. We have to remind people. We have to proclaim Christ crucified because of what He has done. I hate, and we're not supposed to hate, but I'll tell you what, I hate. I hate every time I hear about somebody taking their life. I hate it. I absolutely hate it. Um, I hate hearing about loved ones who may have died from other causes, but they died never knowing Christ. Or in the worst situation, never having been told about Christ. I hate that. I do. It's something that just sticks in my craw. And I think about it sometimes um, late at night. So Christ died for us and He rose for us. This is our celebration. You should be happy about this because this is what it's all about. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. Christ has given us the greatest love that you'll ever know. He has done the greatest thing for you that you'll ever know. Whether you like it or not, whether you believe it or not, the resurrection is everything for us. You think you're sick of me now? Just wait till we get to heaven. But don't worry, for the first 10,000 years or so, I'm going to be busy because I'm going to be so overwhelmed and uh, just glad to be there. <laughs> I'll talk to you after that. So, <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry, you'll be busy too. <laughs> so just, you know, today for this resurrection, resurrection Sunday, just let that sacrifice that Christ has done for us, that resurrection, let that love be be your light when you when you hit these dark times. Cuz they will come. Nobody's immune to them. But also let that light shine from you for other people, for your other Christian brothers and sisters, for everyone else who you would like to become your Christian brothers and sisters. That's all I would ask of you today.